Hey everyone, you're in for a special treat. You're going to hear the conversation I had with Nora on the concept of a grudge book, which is her form of journaling. I am a big fan of journaling and it's commonly recommended by therapists. Additionally, it's something that most people have access to and is relatively inexpensive as a self-care practice. In this interview, you'll hear how Nora used the grudge book through one of the most difficult times of her life, the loss of a loved one. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Monica Johnson. Every week on this show, I'll help you face life's challenges with evidence-based approaches, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Hi, Nora. Welcome to the Savvy Psychologist podcast. Super happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Today, I wanted to talk to you about the grudge book. It's something that's been really interesting to me because I'm a big proponent of journaling for my patients. So I wanted to start by asking, how did the grudge book come about? I have also always been a journaler. I have been a documenter. I've also always been a person who obsesses, a person who is, I think sometimes I've almost like dismissed it as pettiness or as maybe even something worse, like maybe even like, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm so affected by this other person's actions or inactions. So if you review any of my journals, which yes, line the closet walls where I am speaking to you right now, you will see evidence that I've always been a documenter. But in 2014, my husband Aaron died of brain cancer and he died after my father had just died of, you know, cancer in general, general cancers. And my dad died five days after I lost my second pregnancy. So things were bad. And a thing that I don't think we are as open about as we could or should be because we lack so much awareness, especially when we're suffering, is that suffering people are often the worst. We are, it's so hard to be around a person in pain because we are not always good people. We are focused on our own pain. And I was so focused on my own pain, which, you know, justifiably, that was okay of me. But a part of it was that I was so lonely that I was convinced that everybody's actions or inactions around my grief, around my suffering, were somehow like a reflection of, of me. Um, and they were their own personal shortcomings. And I was keeping score. Monica, I was keeping score in like the worst ways, like just mentally cataloging what people did and didn't do, the things they said that were horrible or that they, you know, said they would do and didn't. And I was so filled with rage because rage is easier to feel than grief. Right. It's more active, right? It feels like, you know, if I'm going to sit around and grieve, it feels like, oh, golly, you know, and this is, you know, maybe just a, a root of, of all this like toxic capitalism <laughs> that we all live in, but it's like, Oh, I got to be doing something, right? And just sitting around being sad. Mm, is that helpful? But no, sitting around and just raging, that feels active. That feels like I'm really doing something. And I resisted therapy for as long as possible, which I could just kick myself for. But you get to things when you get to them. And my therapist recommended that I, you know, because I was brought a notebook to therapy because I'm a good patient. <laughs> praise me, praise me. I'm taking notes. I brought I brought an agenda of things to discuss. 
And she recommended that I write down all of these things, all of these grudges I was holding, and that I get really, really, really detailed. Uh, who did what, when, how I felt, uh, what I think of the story, and just to, to write as much as I could. And I did that. I did that um, for a long time. I got detailed. I started a new notebook. I and with every notebook, I write my name and my address and or my email address or my phone number. I write some you know way for people to get in touch with me. And I brought it out on a plane and I then tucked it into the seat back pocket and I left it there. Wow. I left it there accidentally. It a is flight attendant there. had a really good read. <laughs> there is a, there's probably like a text chain to this day among Delta flight attendants who are like, oh my gosh, I, I, I read another page. She's insane. She's un unhinged. Like this is, it only gets better. But what started to happen as I wrote was that I started to expand my aperture I started to see things a little bit differently. When you are forced to write out the story, what happened with me is I could see the part I played in it, which who wants to see that part, right? <laughs> like who wants to have something be their fault? No, no. And I started to, in some cases, feel like actually, no, that one is worth holding. Not just because it is it is something that hurt me, but because like it, it really truly was hurtful. Like some of the things that I wrote out and examined, I was able to see more clearly, not just as me being like, you know, a bitch or just like, oh, expecting too much, but no, that is legitimately hurtful. And I can trace it back and tell you why, because it's not just what happens, how it made me feel. It made me feel unimportant or it made me feel, you know, X, Y, Z. And some of them I realized, oh, Oh, that one was on me. And some of them I just realized, okay, we're people. Everybody involved in this is just a person, just a person, not a person trying to hurt me, not a person trying to ruin my life. They're just a person, just a person. And that, uh, that exercise though, you know, I, I didn't really get to, uh, bring it full circle seeing as how the notebook is gone. <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds like the grudge book helped you see a lot of the nuances in your pain. Yes, it did. It did. And I've I've brought this up before on my podcast, Terrible Things for Asking. And I decided to create sort of like a public grudge book uh, with our listeners where I said, you can write me an email. You can leave a voicemail. You can you know send a voice memo. And I want to hear about the thing that you're holding on to that nobody else is aware of, right? And it can be big. It can be, I don't want you to qualify it. I just want you to tell me the story. And we got so many replies that we ended up doing, you know, two different episodes just filled with stories. And as we're pulling them together, uh, and and listening to other people process, you can listen to them start to see the nuance in their own pain. And you can also, like, as, as you're listening to those episodes, hear things that sound like your life, that sound like your feelings, that listening to producing that episode also made me feel like, oh my gosh, here we are, all just being people, all just being imperfect, all like, you know, holding, holding on to things that bruised us in, in ways that we're not even sure of. 
right now. It was just such a fascinating experience as as a creator. And then to hear people's reactions to those stories, to hear people say like, oh my gosh, I heard myself in this episode. Different characters, same story. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest trick of our minds is to make us think that we're the only one who feels this way. Oh, Monica. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, and, and, and I think part of what makes suffering of any kind and certainly grief so lonely is that, of course, it is personal. Of course, it is absolutely personal to you and who you are in this, you know, the life that you have. And there is something in every situation that is universal. Knowing that is one thing and knowing it, like living with that awareness, having that sort of, you know, door open in your mind is quite another. Absolutely. And I just want to validate that you had a reason to have a grudge. You had several. (laughs) You know, I did. It's like, and and also, like, when I look back at that time in my life, what I see and what I try to remember at almost like every, every point is like, almost every time we are going through something huge, it is a, I mean, every single time, it's a first for us. I don't care if, you know, you've lost five jobs. When you lose the sixth one, that's the first time you've lost that job. I have a close friend who's going through something really, really difficult. And another friend texted me and was like, what do we do? And I said, I was about to text you, right? And I write, I, I, I create this podcast about hard things in life. And yet when those things revisit me, I am a first timer every time. And so everyone around me, when, when my husband died, after my dad died, after I had a miscarriage, that was their first time too. Like, like they had also never walked me through something like this. Weird that none of us knew the steps to a dance that we did not know that we were doing, you know? Right. How do you feel, you know, through going through this process? What do you think has been the biggest benefits for you? Yeah. Um, I think the, one of the benefits is perspective, which is not a constant state of being, right? Like having, like when people say like have perspective, usually they just mean like have my perspective. Like you always have perspective, (laughs) but it is like a reminder to myself that mine is not the only one. Empathy and compassion require our imagination, which also requires our patience too. Sure. And it it has reminded me, it reminds me to be patient. I love reacting, Monica. I love reacting. Mm-hmm. It's like not everything requires my immediate reaction. And in most cases, the situation could be vastly helped by me shutting up and possibly shutting down for a bit. <laughs> You know, like, well, just taking like an adult time out to just go and assess the situation. Right. Right. And when I watch like I have little kids still, you know, you watch an eight year old or you watch, you know, a five year old or hell, you watch a 15 year old or a 20 year old react to something and like cycle so quickly. And you're like, oh, my God, that's me, too. I do that. Like you see it in a you see it in a kid and you realize like, oh, I'm I'm really not that um, much more advanced just because I'm, you know, 20 something years older than you. Oh no, that child part always lives inside of us. It's not something you get rid of. Uh, It's just something that you learn to interact with in a different way. 
one thought, and I guess within that also a question that I have is a lot of times when I talk to my patients about journaling, you know, one of the things that I tell them is if you keep it in your head, it is only limited by your imagination. But when you write something down, this is also true when you talk about something, but like when you write it down, it is, it now has to live by the laws of physics. And so in that way, just the act of journaling something makes it smaller, makes it feel more manageable, and you can get some degree of relief from it. Mm-hmm. Was that similar to your experience or was your experience different? In some yeah, way? no, I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. And also, once you say something out loud... I find this like when I process things in therapy or when I process them with, you know, a friend or or with my husband or when I write them down for my eyes only. Once you have to see it on the page or hear yourself say it, mm-hmm. I mean, you really see it and hear it, right? When you see yourself write down like when you have to say out loud the leap, the mental leap that you've taken in the privacy of your own beautiful brain that allows you to to think things like, well, obviously this person has no respect for me, hates me and hopes I die. When you have to like say that out loud and you're like, oh, okay, that might not be a total fact. I might be projecting that. I might be inventing that. Right. I, uh, uh, uh. It's, it's very transformative to a situation. And I'm not a naturally patient person. I'm really not. And it is a practice in patience for me. Yeah. And that patience has allowed you to have a lot of discovery, it sounds like. Yeah. And and sometimes I think that I want discovery. I want I want a like a light bulb moment where you're in the darkness and the light bulb switches on. And I've said this before, but it's like usually it's like a dimmer switch, right? It's sure. like it's like or it's like a sun rising where you're like, wait, is that huh? And things become a little bit more clearer. And that does take time. Like it takes time. And we do live in a culture and a world that like prioritizes like hot takes and quick reactions. And it is normal and should be normalized, more normalized to like, take your time, take your time. Like we don't need to automatically, you know, take us a, a situation and try to turn it into, you know, something bigger, try to, you know, build a case and like find our allies. Like you can sit with it or step away from it for a moment. and then write it out in a notebook and later you can burn that notebook. (laughs) You don't have to carry that feeling with you forever. And sometimes a notebook is the way to get it out. Sometimes just like calling a friend and saying, I have to say something absolutely that I know is bananas to you and I don't need advice. I just need you to listen to me is a way to do it. Yeah. You know, another form of this that um, sometimes my patients will do is they will write a letter to the person that they're Mm. upset with but they don't send it. And so they'll write it. Sometimes they'll bring it into session with me and read it to me. And then we destroy it. And with destroying it, Mm. we just let that emotion just fly away into the ether. 
I love that. And I love the ether. I love is it I love it reabsorbing things. <laughs> oh, it's great. You know, there's only so much you can hold inside of yourself. This yeah. is about I try to tell people all the time, like the universe is limitless for a reason. <laughs> like release this out into the world. It'll float away into space. Yeah. Yep. You know, maybe some aliens like 90 million light years away will pick up on the frequency. <laughs> and they'll be like, has- what is wrong with people? <laughs> Like, like, like they'll be like, what is this? This is what they're doing down there. Let's, mm, let's, yeah, those let's, earth uh, people, by. yeah, <laughs> those earth people hold a lot of grudges. Yeah. <laughs> Not worth our time, yeah. frankly. Let's just, let's leave them be. <laughs> like, do you have, you know, as a way to kind of tie this all together and wrap up, do you have any suggestions for anyone who would be starting their own grudge book? Oh my gosh. Write as freely as you can. And I, for me, like I I know plenty of therapists have tried to get me to write letters. There's something about the format of a letter where I automatically edit myself. I automatically, there's something about the act of even pretending that another person might read it that ruins it for me. And I don't know why. And there are a couple, uh, not everybody wants to hold a pen and write. I fully get that. Open a Google document. Anything can be a notebook. Open your voice memos on your phone and this is like one of you know my favorite things to do. Open voice memos on your phone. Lay on your bed like you are a millennial and you're in seventh grade and you're talking to your best friend in your room and you're staring at the ceiling and you have no distractions. You're not like you know scrolling anything because there's nothing to scroll because that kind of phone hasn't been invented yet. And just talk. Say out loud all of the things because getting it out verbally sometimes, hearing yourself say it, hearing yourself tell the story, hearing yourself cry or get mad or like take those, you know, like the giant A to Z leaps that we sometimes take mentally, hearing yourself say it out loud can be so helpful. You never have to listen to it again. Right. You never have to listen to it again. You can delete it if you want. You can keep it and you can set a calendar reminder to say, like, listen to this in one month and see how you feel about it then. Like, give yourself it time, just time. We want so badly for things to be okay as quickly as possible and to just like, you know, cycle through our feelings as fast as possible. And especially if we are slightly ashamed of them or, you know, believe that they're not that valid, you deserve time. It's okay to take your time with it. Yeah. Thank you so much for that advice and also for your time today. If um, anyone wants to find you online, what is the best way to go about doing that? Oh, you can find me online. My my screen name is because I'm a senior millennial and like we never just used our names for things like, come on. I'm like I'm from like the AIM class of 2001 <laughs> sure. um, is Nora Borealis. That's not my last name. My last name is Nora McInerney. My website is noramcinerney.com or noraborealis.com. I'm on Instagram is Nora Borealis and Um, My podcast is Terrible Thanks for Asking, and you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today, and it was delightful speaking with you. Thank you, Monica. The Savvy Psychologist is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller, and our marketing and publicity assistant is Savina Tomlin. Follow Savvy Psychologist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this episode of Savvy Psychologist. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.